Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was busted open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object. Meets new school. Busted open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to the golden age of wrestling, the pro wrestling magazines. This is Busted Open. I'm Dave LaGreca and my tag team partner for this very special episode is the innovator of violence, the landlord of the house of hardcore, the one and only Tommy Dreamer. What's going on, Tommy? I'm doing great. And man, I mean, this means everything to you. This episode means everything to me. We are psyched up and you went deep, deep into your Rolodex. Well, you, pulled out, you pulled out everybody. You put out the, God, the, the Mount Rushmore of magazines. You pulled them out. Yeah, we're going to have on this episode, we're going to have George Napolitano, uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame photographer for Main Event Magazine, a bunch of other wrestling periodicals, even like some books that came out in the 80s into the 90s, even his latest book that came out about five years ago. And then we're going to have Stu Sachs, Tommy. Stu Sachs uh, from Pro Wrestling Illustrated after a 41-year career is saying goodbye to the PWI offices. As a matter of fact, the, the latest episode is going to be his last. It's got Drew McIntyre on the cover. You can go to pwionline.com to get the, uh, the digital version of that. But he is saying goodbye after almost 41 years. And you can't talk wrestling magazines without Bill After, who's going to join us in about 20 minutes, Tommy. So it's going to be great catching up with, I think, the three godfathers of the pro wrestling magazines. Absolutely. And I was first introduced into professional wrestling, just like you, via television. And then my father came home in 1979 with my first ever wrestling magazine, and it was a picture of a bloody, dusty Rhodes. And I could not, it was my Bible. I could not believe the visuals that I was seeing. I still have the magazine. And then it started this insane journey that I'm still on some, what, 41 years later. Uh, I still, I love looking through old magazines. When you and I together in studio, you always bring your magazines. But um, for me, 
this was the internet before the internet. It was how we got our wrestling information. Yeah, and we're going to talk to George Napolitano, 50 years as a photographer for pro wrestling, Stu Sachs, almost 41 years, and then Bill After, just decades and decades of just being kind of the face of wrestling magazines. If you think about it, Tommy, you know, those family of Sports Review Wrestling, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, those were kind of like the first class of wrestling magazines and they're known as the after mags because bill after was always the one that you saw at ringside taking the pictures always the one that was on georgia championship wrestling world championship wrestling so he's kind of like the face of our generation of pro wrestling magazines yeah and it was dude it was a big deal i mean you you look at baseball you look at football when they would do you know the mvp when you do like all these awards the awards that I used to love when Bill Apter would show up, it, it, it was rarely ever in WWE, but when he showed up all the time, like, you know, giving out those awards, it was a real deal. And it was like a real accomplishment for someone to be the rookie of the year, someone to be the most popular wrestler of the year. And I mean, I also remember the television show that he used to do uh, with Dusty sitting outside on, you know, they were in the studio and it was basically their own show. And Bill, you know, was always just that. But it was, like I said, you didn't get news how we get news today. You know, it was newspapers and it was magazines. And these magazines determined in your head because it was like, oh, this guy's a star because they're writing about the person. I mean, how would you have known about any of the wrestlers until you see them on television? This is before cable. This is before anything. For me... I got it, like I said, in 1979. I have every wrestler, Inside Wrestling, and Pro Wrestling Illustrated from 1979 till about 1992. And then I stopped buying them because I just bought them when my name was in the ratings. And for me, the the joy of seeing my name in a ratings, like I was like, oh my God, I'm making it. And then I stopped buying them because my name was always in the ratings. Because so like at times like... I would be like, I deserve to be in the ratings. I'm still a friggin' fan. You know, I'm only wrestling like two years. But when, then I just started buying them when there's just my pictures in it. And, you know, I've had a blessed career. I have stacks and stacks of magazines. But now that I'm older, I just, I go through them. And whenever I go to a wrestling show or I go to a convention and I see people have magazines that I don't have, I'll be like, how much is this? Can I barter a Tommy Dreamer autograph for that? <laughs> you like a t-shirt <laughs> smart smart Tommy and I do I have you know we have a piece of furniture in our living room and I have my stacks of wrestling magazines in them because those mean everything to me those are so much memories you know uh, I, I've, I've talked about this on Busted Open before like Friday nights we it would be pizza night at the LaGreca house so we would go to the pizzeria and right across the street was a store and that's where I bought main event magazine and I bought Ringside Wrestling. That was right across the street from the pizzeria. And then on Saturdays, I would ride my bike to Uncle Tony's Stationery, and I would buy Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside Wrestling and The Wrestler and Sports Review Wrestling. And, like, those six magazines were, like, the magazines I bought every single week. Yeah. And, you know, I had the paper route, and that's the, that's what I would spend all my paper route money on. And then there would, would be the once in a while, like the Wrestling 84 and Wrestling 85, and there was the poster magazines and things like that. But 
there was just something about those certain magazines that we bought on a monthly basis. It was a big deal for me when I was 11, 12 and 13 years old. It was kind of, it was my routine too. I used to ride my bike down the hill and there was a stationary store uh, at the one place and I would go, there was also a Zips ice cream where I used to get Sundays in the actual uh, baseball uh, helmets. I used to have a collection of that as well. And then I'd take my bike down to the other uh, plaza and there was another stationary store there because if the one place didn't carry it, I would just always peruse those magazines. As soon as I saw the new one that would come out, I'd have to get it. But I always knew like they'd had to be more. Me and my father would go take trips, like any store you'd go into. And for people, our generation, they get this, but for younger generations where, you know, I mean, let's be honest, magazines are a dying medium, but we would walk into a stationary store or a place where you go play lotto or even a supermarket. And there would be eight, nine, 10 magazines, all different magazines about professional wrestling. Yeah. It would be like wall to wall magazines. And I always felt like pro wrestling magazines were probably the hottest sellers in a lot of those stores because there were so many, like you said, and even like, you know, David Lee Roth from the lead singer from Van Halen, I bumped into him and he listens to Busted Open, he was telling me as a very young child, he gravitated towards the wrestling magazines. That's where he first saw, you know, Bruno San Martino and this larger than life figure on the wrestling magazines. And like his mom would go shopping and she would just leave him by the wrestling magazines. And he would just read the wrestling magazines as his mother would go grocery shopping. And, and like, like you mentioned, that was our Bible. And even though it was so far behind, it would be months behind. That's how we find out about the other wrestling organizations. I remember when I first started watching more and more wrestling, I would take the rankings and I would kind of check off what wrestlers I've seen on TV, you know, make a little X mark next to their name because like, it's like, Oh, I, Oh, I finally got to see Wahoo McDaniel. I, fi- I finally got to see, you know, uh, Jerry Briscoe. And I would make like little marks near their name because I, it was a big deal. I, my goal was to, you know, watch every wrestler that was in those rankings. Absolutely. And for me, it was when I finally saw like I could get these subscriptions or sent to my house, you know, you'd have to ask your father, can you write me a check for X amount of dollars? And he would either take it out of your allowance, but I had to either get good grades or I had to do stuff to get this. And I, and it's funny, a lot of wrestlers, especially like my age, I remember talking back in the day with Chris Candido, me and Matt Stryker, like when that brown envelope would be in your mailbox, it was pure joy. It was like, okay, now I'm just going to sit down. And I would read seriously from cover to cover. I didn't miss anything. I couldn't get enough information. Uh, Now you just click a button. But for then it was all within these pages, like you said, and it was cover to cover uh, where you just got, all this information and it, it influenced my life. Like I remember like I would take my wrestling magazines with me or like read it before I go to bed. I mean, there's people who have comics there, but for me, it was always wrestling magazines or I would cut stuff out and put it on my, uh, my wall, you know, all these pictures of, of different guys. And uh, it just really, really did influence me. My favorite cover 
and I was looking at it the other day was uh, where they broke down the three super shows that happened in the same day. It was uh, Last Tango in Tampa, um, which was Dusty and Harley Race. It was Bruno versus uh, Larry Zabisco in the cage, and it was The Wrestler. It was uh, it was a red cover, and it had, like, stars all over it. And when I tell you, like, I read that cover to cover, and then going back and looking at, like, on my career, I'd be like, wow, I tagged with that person. Wow, that guy trained me. Wow, I wrestled that person. And it was just, like, it 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 made me feel like good about because you don't look at yourself in the way you know as you get older you reflect more and it's like wow like as a kid this is my bible i'm worshiping it and then i got to meet or wrestle or be with these people so it's super duper cool that's very cool when we come back tommy i want to get into a lot of what we kind of fell in love with with those year-end awards you know it's kind of like the greatest trivia when i see you i was like you know, well, who won most improved wrestler of 1983? Who was tag team, uh, uh, you know, of the year in 1991? Those, those year-end awards were always my favorite issues, and we'll get into that when Tommy and I are back on the golden age of wrestling, the wrestling magazine right here on Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. The UFC is back Saturday, May 9th, and the Luke Thomas Show is your number one source to prepare you for the return of MMA. This is Luke Thomas, and from Monday, May 4th to Friday, May 8th, you can catch the Luke Thomas Show live every afternoon from 1 to 3 Eastern as I give you the insider's perspective on UFC 249. Plus, I'll be taking your calls at 877-FIGHT-93 to hear what you have to say about the stacked card. It's all happening on the Luke Thomas Show, Monday to Friday, airing live from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on your home for MMA, Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer delve into the significance of pro wrestling magazines throughout the years. This is Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazines special. Back here on Busted Open, very special edition, the golden era of pro wrestling, the pro wrestling magazines. And and for us in the late 70s, well into the 80s, Tommy, this was, our, I guess you could say, the dirt sheets of their time though they weren't the dirt sheets because you didn't get like the information that you get now when you go to you know some of the websites that we read on a daily basis this was completely storyline related you know when you read inside wrestling the wrestler pro wrestling illustrated wrestling eye sports review wrestling you know the wrestling news all those magazines main event everything stayed on story they didn't tell you anything that you were not supposed to know uh, so it was always funny to find out later that like, no, Barry Windham really didn't have an apartment with record albums and sprawled out on the floor. Like, you know, those were the, the journalists that they had that kind of painted a word picture for us, the fans, but they were completely storyline. The first magazine to start going more realistic would be the wow magazine yep. short lived. But when they first came on, they, friggin took over and took over in a big way and that's what caused um we'll talk about it with bill but bill to leave which was shocking um and it, it didn't have a long long shelf life if you read his book he'll tell you what happened or maybe he'll tell us on the thing but yeah man it was all storyline and uh kind of like how 
all of television was because, uh, again, we weren't getting our news the way we get our news. When I talk to my mom now, she'd be like, can you believe like all these horrible natural disasters or like all this stuff? It never happened back in the day. And I was like, yes, it did, Ma. You just never knew about it. Yeah. Or just like how you would see the same angles going on. Uh, if that happened today, they'd be like, oh, they just did that. And, and I was a part of it. They did that in ECW. Why are they doing it on WCW? Why are they doing it on WWE? You get called out for your, for your BS. But back then, you didn't. Um, and the awards, like, man, they were, they were real. And the magazines, they were as real as real can be. And by the way, 1983 Rookie of the Year, the worst ever, Angelo Mosca. How do you pick? We talked about that. Over Arn Anderson. And the 1991 Tag Team of the Year, because you really, I'm going to get mad. Because I was like, I know this answer. And then I went and looked it up, and I was wrong. Are you ready? All right, go ahead. Hit me. Who do you say it is? So, 91, Tag Team of the Year. You said it. I, I, well, 1991, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would think it was the Road Warriors. Well, oh, the Road Warriors or the Steiner Brothers would be probably my pick. The Enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry, Larry Zabisco. They were the tag team of the year? Yeah, man. And wow. now, like, as soon as that ha- like, as soon as I looked that up, I remember the cover and like Zabisco's in his wrestling crouch and they got the awards and Paulie's holding up one. That was like the year when the Dangerous Alliance like kind of swept everything. But I also think Paul had some uh, favoritism because he used to work for uh, the after mags back in the day. Him, if you think about that, Paul Heyman and Joey Styles both worked at Pro Wrestling Illustrated offices. That's how Joey got his break into wrestling because he wanted to be announcer and he met Paul there. Paul was already a contributing editor probably under a, a, a pseudo name but he was also giving uh pictures because you know paul bs his way into the wrestling business um because he knew he couldn't be a wrestler but he knew he wanted to be in it and you know what thank god he did because it changed the wrestling business and just like the wrestling magazines just how the internet just now how social media it, it's an evolving world that we live in and uh but the magazines uh, I used to keep them like first, like they would be like in Pathmark or Wallbaum's uh, plastic bags. And then finally, just like from a problem about three, four years later, then you started getting the comic book uh, things that you slip them in, the covers. And then they wouldn't fit sometimes. So they had to get out the magazine covers and then they were too big. But hey, that's what I had them all in. And I do. I have boxes upon boxes of these magazines. And, uh, I remember Bulo like said recently, are you ever going to get rid of these magazines? I was like, no, you have to wait till I die. <laughs> no, and there's no reason for you to get rid of those magazines. No, she will. She'll burn them in effigy. She'll have a Tommy Dreamer uh, barbecue. <laughs> I hate him. Well, no, no, I'll, I'll get to him first, Tommy. <laughs> I will leave them to you. <laughs> but no, but you know, those are important. And you mentioned the awards and like, I know Ric Flair has got to be, the wrestler that won it the most over that over that period of time. I'm sure the Road Warriors won it more than any other tag team, but that did mean something. And we'll get into that. We'll talk. We'll ask Stu Sachs, especially about the voting and you know if that was definitely legit. We'll get. We'll do all that. And the guy that we definitely have to get into some of these things, especially with Pro Wrestling oh, Illustrated, is the great Bill After. And we'll do that. We're back right here on Busted Open. 
You're listening to Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. The Ock and Barack Show. It's either make the big fights happen, fighters take less money, or stand their ground and wait till we get to a point where their audiences. That might not happen for another year. The big fighters like AJ, like Canelo, all of these big names, are they willing to wait a year without fighting? Can the networks deal with that? Can the promoters deal with that? And eventually it's going to come down to the point where you either take it or you leave it. There's no more money for you to get. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. This is Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open. Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer. And we could not do this show, Tommy. We talked about this. There was no way that we could not do this show. This is a guy that when I used to go to the Pro Wrestling USA shows at the Meadowlands, I wasn't taking pictures of Ric Flair or Harley Race or the Road Warriors. I was actually taking Polaroid pictures of this man at ringside. He's the author of Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. He's the man behind all the magazines we read, Tommy, and that is the one and only, the legendary, the iconic Bill After. Bill, how are you today? I'm very good, and uh, uh, thank you for inviting me here during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. It's a pleasure to be here, and I hope all the busted open listeners and i love the show i always have i hope uh, all the busted open listeners and they and their families and everybody are uh, obeying all the rules and uh, we are like six hundred thousand feet apart yes yes we are yes. practicing social distancing here on busted open. i'm thrilled and i remember the early days of busted open when uh, you would call me um quite a bit and just um uh, Ask me, you know, what do you think of this one? And I really appreciate that you you let me mentor a little bit of you during the the, the beginnings of the show. No, there's no doubt. And and you know, I never and Tommy obviously one of the greats when it comes to pro wrestling. I never wanted to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to be Bill After Thank when you. I was a kid. You know that Thank that was my goal. Is I wanted to you know I wanted to write. I wanted to take pictures. I wanted to be the man behind just like what everything that you were able to accomplish. So, you know, this is a great moment for me being able to do this thank show you. as really a tribute to you that. because you really are a mentor to me in many ways. Well, thank you. I appreciate that uh, very much, but I always believed in busted open uh, when we uh, did our trip to Toronto uh, many, many years ago. I remember that. And I always believed in the, in the show. So I'm glad to see the success that this show has amassed. Well, thank you, and you're a big reason why. And obviously, we're talking about the pro wrestling magazines. Well, and wait a minute, wait a I just have one other thing to add. I apologize for having security remove you from the Meadowlands during those pro wrestling <laughs> USA shows, but you, re- I was trying to concentrate on taking pictures. I understand, I understand. sir. Okay, I understand. It was, it was, it was worth it. It was worth it. All right. So you, you're, the family of magazines that you are a part of, the After magazines, as everybody likes to call them. Do you know who came up with that? Uh, who? Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer? Okay. Dave Meltzer used to call them in the Wrestling Observer. He called them the After Mags, and I used to call him. Yes, I can admit I talked to Dave Meltzer. It was illegal back. But right, Tommy? Yes. It was illegal back then. You couldn't talk to Dave Meltzer. But uh, he kept calling them the After Mags, and I kept calling him and saying, please, we're a whole team of people. I might be the guy out there 
but we're a whole team of people that put these magazines together. They're not the after mags. They're the whole conglomerate of the publishing company, Stanley Weston's magazines. But because I was on TV a lot, things that I wanted to do, people saw me as the face of the magazines. But they were never my magazines, but I'm flattered that people uh, look at me in that in that light. Yeah. Uh, Bill, before uh, you were here, you know, we were basically talking about this was the the internet before there was internet. You were the one who gave us our information. Um, when I, I know, because I read your book, there was a lot of wrestlers that saw the potential of, you know, you created stars. You put somebody on that uh, magazine, they were they were a star. Was there anyone, because, you know, the business is different from when I started, you were around uh, longer than I, that wasn't very receptive to you being around in the back or just a pretty much like a jerk to you back in the day? Uh, that's a great question. And I don't even think I addressed that in my book. Because um, the business was so protective. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm going to cite one, uh, one or two places that happened. One was in Texas, uh, Terry Funk. And Ivan Putsky were going to be in the main event in uh, Austin, Texas, Putsky's hometown. And Terry Fung said to me, you got to be careful after the uh, promoter there. She doesn't like photographers. So uh, we went and she saw me come into the building with, uh, with Terry Funk. And she said, who's this person? And uh, Terry Funk introduced me as a photographer from uh, the wrestler or inside wrestling magazine at that point. And she said, well, I hope you have a nice time. Uh, I'll give you a free ticket and uh, you can sit and watch the matches. So it became a situation the whole night where Terry Funk and Ivan Putsky wanted me there to shoot that match. Cause I was on the road in Texas for the whole week with them. And, uh, she wouldn't do it. So Ivan Putsky, and I remember this, went over to her and he said, you know what? If Bill can't shoot, I'm out of the match. I'm walking out. And then she let me shoot. They had to go to that extreme. Then there was another time in uh, back when I first started in the early 70s in Georgia, every town welcomed me pretty much with open arms. But there was one town, it might have been uh, Columbus or something, and it wasn't Fred Ward. I've got Ralph Freed, I think his name was. No, that was a ring announcer. Uh, Fred, I, I forgot his name, but he was, uh, I don't want results of my, and I, I got it. I understood that they did the same matches in the same towns and they didn't want results printed and all that, but he didn't want me around at all. But the main guy, Tommy Dreamer, when I think of you, I think of Philadelphia, the main guy was, do you, any of you remember Phil Zacco? Yes, the promoter. Okay, so my boss, Stanley Weston, uh, for some reason got on the wrong side of Phil Zacco. And I didn't know this. And I went to uh, the Philadelphia Arena for the first time. And Lou Albano told me that uh, I was looking for some wrestler. And he said, well, he's in the other dressing room. So I walk in the dressing room and this guy comes over to me. He says, who the hell are you? I said, I'm Bill Apter. Yeah, what are you doing here? I don't know who you are. I said, well, Lou Albano just sent me in here. You get out of here. I said, wait, I just, I work for Stanley Weston. You know, well, get the F out of here. <laughs> I didn't know that he and my boss didn't get along at all. I had no clue. And it took me probably a year to uh, get around that. And he, he was the promoter 
in Baltimore of the Bruno San Martino, the night Bruno lost his belt to uh, superstar Billy Graham. And Vince McMahon Sr. made sure Phil Zacco was not at the building that night because he did not want me around the ring. Wow. wow. Sons of bitches. Sons you know, of bitches, yeah. Before you joined us, Bill, uh, Tommy and I were talking about the rankings in the back of the mags. And, and those were like, those were to us, those were everything. I am sure that there had to be some, you know, either promoters or wrestlers that got upset about those rankings. Is that okay, true? So I'm glad you addressed that. I was the guy that did the rankings. So every week I would call every office in the territories from Don Owens up in uh, Oregon to Jim Crockett, to Ole Anderson, uh, to Vince Sr., et cetera, et cetera. And they would give me, uh, to, to uh, Bill Watts, they would give me uh, the list of who they might be pushing coming up because there was a lag time of like two or three months before the magazines from uh, being done came out on the newsstands. And I have to tell you, the promoters really weren't my nemesis during that time. The wrestlers were horrible during that time. Hey, Bill After, how could you put Chief J. Strongbow before me? I've been in this territory a lot longer than him. Well, you know, brother, if you put this guy as number two and we're not doing that with him, man, this isn't a good idea. You know something, Bill After, you're ranking the champions and Harley Race should be first. Right? <laughs> you got Bruno San Martino first. I'm going to tell you. All right. So here's the story behind the rankings. All right. I was on the Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder. I remember that. On NBC with a panel of wrestling people, superstar Billy Graham, Bruno, Vince Jr. back then. And during the show, during the show, they asked me, who are the greatest wrestlers in the business? I said, well, there's the National Wrestling Alliance champion, Jack Briscoe. There's the AWA champion, Vern Gagne, and the WWF champion, Bruno Sammartino. Well, the next day, I got a call and I don't remember who it was from that said Vince Sr. is furious at me. This is my hometown, New York, where his, how can I mention his guy and put his, his guys below those other two federations? Wow. And I felt like Jackie Gleason and the honeymoon. And it took quite a while for me to repair the relationship, but the wrestlers more so than that one time the wrestlers were always jealous i was afraid sometimes to the steiners who i love i love those guys they always everybody hears about their intensity and all this stuff but they we had a great stick relationship but anytime i walked into a wrestling dressing room and tommy you know this i always magazines with me right and they would go right to the ratings fucking road warriors <laughs> kill you right so yeah, the wrestlers bought that because it was a sign that they were not over in their minds with the magazines as the guys who were on top of them. Right. The guys who were on top of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's still funny that today, um, and, and it, it every year, and I remember it like, especially in ECW, when the PWI 500 came out, yeah. which was a brilliant idea. <clears throat> Paul will be like, oh, God, here it comes. Because people would, like, look at these ratings, like, how can I be rated so low? Or, like, bro, I'm rated this high. And, like, 
it would be a distraction. And now it's even worse because it's all online and wrestlers bitch. And like, even now, like, you know, uh, Dave and I were talking about, unfortunately, magazines are a dying medium uh, across the board, but now with social media, like I see when, you know, PWI still puts out ratings, wrestlers will be like, how oh, could yeah. you rate me so yes. low? Like I'm the yes. tag team. And I'll be like, are you kidding me? Like I you can't. Know, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer never said anything about where he was rated, but in the office wrestling matches, when he put a kendo stick to me, I think he got all the venom out at that point. That he was rated, I think, one notch below Taz at that point. No, 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 no. no I'm just kidding with you. You know that. No, but the rankings, the PWI 500. I want to dispel a rumor here that Aptor did that. What we would do as a group of the editorial department, we'd go in and rank the first, the top hundred guys. After that, everybody just kind of fell into a, now the guys who actually did the 500, uh, writing the bios and the short paragraphs and all that, like Bob Smith, who was a great guy. But once they started on the 500, they turned into, don't talk to me, leave me alone. They were like, <laughs> those wrestlers were calling left and right. Where am I? Where am I? Where? It's like, it was a total nightmare. We would, like I said, rank the top 100, and periodically, uh, we once in a while we would bring in a uh, uh, a wrestler from uh, who was an independent guy just to sit in with us just to see if we were being fair. And there was some there was some very clever office angles that came out of that. Where I think it was Mike Quackenbush came in one time, and he and I set this whole thing up that we were going to tell Stu Sachs publisher at that point that he was going to come up with uh something like tatsumi fujinami as being the top wrestler in the whole world but a lot of our fans that read the magazines didn't know who tatsumi fujinami was so quackenbook sits there and he says tatsumi fujinami i said you gotta be kidding we set this up i said what are you an idiot Stu looks at me like what you can't, we have a guest here. He wants Tatsu. This guy's an idiot. Get him out of here. And we ran this for about 20 minutes before Stu took me out into the hallway. He says, what's going on with you? The guys I said, you've been worked, Stu. I always remember that. But yeah, people were so jealous of the rankings and the PWI 500s. And a lot of times, there was a match between Bob Backlund. I can't believe I remember this. Bob Backlund and... Uh, I think it was Harley Grace or Superstar Billy Graham in Atlanta. And each promoter from each promotion called me to make sure that we made his guy look right in whatever story we were running. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And, and it's before the internet. Tommy's right. We were the only place that a fan could get what was going on in other territories. And people like Paul Jones who worked for Jim Crockett at that promotion at that time, didn't know when he came to New York, fans knew who he was because of the magazines. Yep. Dave, uh, I, I've never told you this, but I know I told Bill. Uh, I was more nervous than meeting Bill Apter than I was the first time I met Vince McMahon. Well, and I remember Taz told me like we were going to go and meet Bill. And I was like, what? Like, oh my God, just, I mean, not only because I was such a fan, but like, I knew like, wow, if I make a good impression on this person, like, you know, I could be in magazines, this, you know, my dreams come true. 
And uh, I remember changing my shirt twice, like I was going on a date. So I looked wow. bigger and I looked like, so I could impress Bill after. And when I met him, went to the house, everything was like, and we were, you know, became instant friends. But like, I remember yes. like, and I'm never nervous ever, but I was nervous meeting him because of I the influence that the magazines had on my life. And, and like Bill, when it's all said and done, like if you think about your life, you have influenced seriously billions of people uh and just how you just said like oh my god i can't believe i remember this because they're just moments in time that you captured with you know your lens and they're just moments like that stick with people forever and for me and like i recommend everyone to read your book because you were never going to be a wrestler but you contributed to the business and you contributed to something that you loved thank you thank you the fact that you were able to do that. You lived a different dream, but uh, Thank you. yeah, man, I was I was nervous as can be. I think I like I I, I wore like a polo shirt. I sweated through it. I had to bring like three shirts. Yeah, I remember Taz uh, had made contact with me. I was at a uh, I lived in Massapequa Park, and uh, I used to see him at uh, supermarket, walking up and down the aisles at the same time I did. I used to go to the supermarket all the time. And one time, you know, we I think he and I were looking in the same freezer and I said, is that good? So he looks at me, he said, you Bill Apta? Yeah, he was stalking <laughs> Are you. Bill Apta? So he was stalking you and yet he told me he was friends with you. Meanwhile, I look like a double stalker. No, no, you didn't. So no, I, he, his father owned a vending machine company and no. he said, you got kids? And he used to bring me my kids down uh, candy and sodas from uh, uh, the vending machine. And then he said, I want to bring my friend Tommy down one night. Yeah, that was you. And I never forgot that we had. Uh, I think Tommy uh, pinned my like two year old son at that time. And <laughs> I'll beat up a child, child, woman. I'll kick all their asses. I know you will. You've done it. You've done it. <laughs> but no, thank you for saying that. And uh, a lot of the people in the business from back in the 70s, when I first started throughout the years, have kept in touch with me, uh, even after their careers were over, just as uh, um just as friends, of course. And just yesterday, I got a text from Scott Hall saying, I hope you're safe, love you. I mean, it's wonderful. So- Absolutely. Yeah, the relationships, the whole thing with my career was my Rolodex, okay? Uh, in my book, which Jim Cornette says, Bill Apter's book sucks because he doesn't bury anybody. And that's that was the key to my career, is when I knew not to talk, when not to talk, when to ask questions, not to ask questions, and never bury anybody, never make and never make an enemy. Uh, these people that write on the internet uh, will say to me, what's the key to your success? How can I get in and all that? I said, well, I read what you wrote there, and it's nasty what you're writing. You're crit- I said, there's a way to criticize in a nice way where you're not hurting people's careers or their feelings, you know, I thought he might do a little more flying maneuvers that night than he did, something like that. You can, mm-hmm. so now the guy knows, well, maybe I did, but it's honest, honest look at what you were doing without hurting your feelings, that type of thing. So my rule is four words, don't piss anyone off. Nice. Hey, uh, I mean, since you know everything about the magazine industry as well, back, mm-hmm. I never got them until ECW, but like the Japanese wrestling magazines, they were beyond gospel. They were weekly. Oh. And how hard was it to put, would it be to put out a weekly magazine? And this was in the 90s. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, no, yes, sir. 
So we put out a weekly newsletter for a little while. And I don't know if you remember uh, when I was with WOW magazine, we did uh, Bill Apter's WOW Extra, which was right. another one of those things. I don't know how they did that. I really don't. Uh, they may have owned the printing press. They had the best action photography. They used motor drives. This was back in the film days. They used motor drives and their photography of even the non-Japanese stars like Mil Mascaras and the Destroyer and uh, uh, Stan Hansen and Bruce Brody, their photography, their magazines were less um, editorial than it was photo driven and they yes. were beautiful. And I still have a, I still have a lot of them down here. I have their Mil Mascaras special that they did. Um, I don't know how they did it, Tommy. I, I wish I knew. I remember, I mean, even when my first tour there, I want to say 94, and there was press at the airport. And I'm sitting there like, how the hell do they even know what flight I was on? Oh, and right. the next day, I'm in the newspaper as well as, wow, Tommy Dreamer has just landed in, in Japan. And it was like just how the norm was if you pick up a newspaper, it was the norm that a wrestler or something wrestling mm -hmm was happening uh, during that time. I was shocked when the Funks brought me to Japan and Noki brought George Napolitano over all the time. So Baba needed our Ruben Brew. So <laughs> Baba brought me over there. And I went on tour with the Funks, Dan Hansen, Bruce Brody, Haku. It was uh, two long, long stories there. But when I got off the plane, beside Koichi Yashizawa, who used to be one of the photographers who worked for our magazines, all these fans knew they were coming to the wrestlers and then they were working themselves over to me on Mr. Aftasan. I had no clue that they even knew who I was, but they were all there. All the Japanese magazines reporter reporters were there waiting for me and taking pictures. Right. Yeah. Bill, do you have a favorite picture that you ever took? Wow. Um, I'm hitting you with good ones. I'm, I'm the co-host. Okay. Um, one of them was at one of the ECW pay-per-views pay with Taz suplexing. It was um, hardcore. Well, who was Taz? Bam Bam oh, through, the, through the ring? No. he. It was just a normal suplex. Oh. I mean, he did it through a lot. I, I think I know the picture where he's got like a bridge where he almost looks like he's bent in yes, half. Like 3D his, into the camera. And he's on his tippy toes. My favorite my favorite picture. Nice. Um, most of the, the, and the favorite posed picture, uh, and you know, Taz will like to hear that it was a picture of him. I love him, you know that. Uh, but my favorite post picture was the set that Craig Peters and I did with the, with the Road Warriors where we had that horror lighting. I was posing them and Craig was laying down on the studio with one light coming up. And it was all the early photos of, uh, of them, yeah. That was the one that was on the cover of the year end for 83, the year end. Yeah, but we used it on the cover for a few for a few of them. Which was amazing. <sighs> I thought I actually thought you were gonna say the first ever Pro Wrestling Illustrated cover with Mel Maskers and uh, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, his real name, by the way, is Mel Moskowitz. He's a nice <laughs> Jewish kid from the Bronx. <laughs> Where's a mask? Goes and had to use a Mexican name there. You never know. That's it. So no, that was in terms of photography. The 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 thing that got me after a while was back in the seventies, like with 
Bruno and Pedro Morales, they always looked where the photographers were. And when they got kicked out of the ring, they came out with a velocity to see who could get one or two of us down when they came out of the ring. But yeah, superstar Billy Graham was great with the photography because whenever he'd put somebody in a hole, he'd go, put this on the cover, Bill After, or <laughs> Yeah, he was great. They were calling spots. Yeah, yes. Yeah, photography spots. That's the awesome. One, the one thing I don't know if any of you were going to bring up that was the biggest thing that I think I contributed to, but it was the least thing that the magazines wanted to do was when I helped put Andy Kaufman together with Jerry Lawler. I didn't know yeah, that. Please, yes. You didn't know this. Okay. I, so I mean, I'm sure I read the I read it in the book or I forgot yeah. it. Yeah, so, so, um, uh, oh, yes, I do know it now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, Vince Sr. didn't want any part of Andy Kaufman. He, Andy was backstage at the garden and, uh, he, um, he came over to me to talk to me and he knew me. I was shocked. So, he said, What are you doing after the matches? I said, I'm going back to my apartment in Queens, where I was living with a uh, girl wrestler, uh, Susan Sexton. He said, Oh, how do you get there? I said, I take the E train. He said, Well, can I come with you? I said, sure, this is the guy that's starring in Taxi. Right. So he went and he's sitting with Suzanne and I talking about uh, this whole this whole thing. Then he wanted to be Buddy Rogers or Fred Blassie. And she looked at him and she says, is that all the fuck you can talk about it's wrestling? Went in the room, put on her headphones, gabba gabba, hey, it was the Ramones. Uh, <laughs> so I told him that I have a friend in Memphis, Jerry Lawler. He said, well, it's one o'clock in the morning now. We can't call him now. I said, he's just getting in. So we get Lawler on the phone, wired phone, no cell phone. He says, you got Andy Kaufman in your roach infested apartment there in Queens. And I put them on the phone with each other. And that's that put them together. Wow. Stanley Weston, my boss, said to me, we're not doing anything with a comedian. It's bad for the business. The next day after they were on the David Letterman show, the biggest rankings they've ever gotten in the whole world. I said, Lawler wants to come to the office. He's in New York. Have him take the Long Island Railroad like everybody else. Not let's get him a town car or a limousine. So you ask Jerry next time you talk to him on here, how was his train ride out to the PWI offices? But nice. Mr. Weston didn't want any sports entertainment, even though it didn't wasn't known as that. But I think that was the very first shot of sports entertainment ever yeah, in the pro wrestling business. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? That's funny because you're right. That would probably be the beginnings of something that was kind of be commonplace a decade or two later on in pro wrestling. An another thing that you don't get a lot of credit for is the, the videotape, the VHS tape, the Lord of the Rings, because that was, you know, that was, was like very much ahead of the curve. You and Gordon Soley doing that VHS tape that was sponsored by PWI back in the yeah, day. But John Bersicelli, who is a congressman in New Jersey, if you look him up, he's very famous in New Jersey. He's the guy that came to us with that. He was the producer of it. And uh, yeah, he, he hired Gordon and he asked me if I, if the magazine would help sponsor it. And if I'd like to sit next to Gordon Soley and Bill Cardell and Gordon Soley were my two guys back in those days, Bill Cardell from Philadelphia shows. And Gordon, of course, made everything sound like, uh, well, indeed, a proboscis has been broken and uh, the medical personnel are being hurried into the. He made it seem like wide world of sports. It was wonderful. And on that, when we made those tapes, the two tapes, I was amazed because he would look at the teleprompter, the script one time 
and he would look in the camera and he had it all memorized. And he was, he was, he was out drinking the night before quite heavily. Gordon was known for that. He liked his booze. And I was like, I'd look down and I'd say, can we do take two? Can we do take three? And he's just getting us instantly. He was amazing to work with. Bill, how come, I mean, you had a lot of- Absolutely uh, amazing, I, I adored him. You had on-camera roles, you know, on TBS and all that stuff. How come you never had, like Gordon Soley had one physical encounter that time when Morocco pushed him. How come uh, you didn't have any real physical, uh, I mean, it would be great for someone to beat the crap out of you and a babyface come make the save. How come you never had any physicality done to you? It happened on uh, probably 1971. Here I go back into the memory. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago, but I remember this. <laughs> Um, right, I wasn't born then, so that's why I don't know this. Okay, now I need to know this story. Time, pre-dreamer, you were just dreaming. The Sheik, the original Sheik, not the Iron Sheik, the Sheik against Wild Bull Curry, Fred Curry's father in right. Detroit, Michigan. Um, she, Curry had lost the match. People told me the guy's just really crazy. He was throwing ashtrays at me backstage. Big ashtrays, these big things. So Curry loses the match. And I'm shooting pictures at ringside, and I had twice the hair you have, Tommy, at this point. He pulls me up by my hair onto the ring, and he hits me in the face. And I didn't know what a working type of punch was. He hit me. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tony Dino Marino comes running out to the dressing room, beats the crap out of him, and saves me. Nice. All right. Abdullah the Butcher grabbed me a few times in Atlanta, and he... He was very heavy worker in terms of, again, he didn't know that he's a little 145 pound skinny little kid here from New York. Um, but other than that, on interviews and stuff like that, they never they never really did that. You know, we staged the, well, I'm not gonna say we staged it. Stan Hansen hit me with a heart punch. That was the first story. Do you remember that at all in the magazine? Not. Hit me in a dressing room with a heart punch. I was taken to the uh, hospital. Uh, in a it. magazine, I remember like the beast attacked you and Georgie Animal Steel wrecked your set. Actually, it was, love that. it was the Wolfman. It was the Wolfman, yeah. And Beat Fred Blassie, yeah. Horrible. Yeah, so that I was attacked for pictures in the magazine, but on TV, I think they wanted to portray me, and I had no problem with this, as the as the head of a conglomerate of real important magazines. And you know, you don't touch him. He's here right. to present awards. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think it was. I think I'd have to get a TV deal so I could beat the crap out of you on TV. <laughs> no, you, you, you <laughs> can beat the crap on me in the office. So. Uh, amazing. Bill, we could talk to you for hours. Again, mentor right, of mine. I have the next seven hours free. Let's go. <laughs> I get the next, it looks like the way things are going, the next six years. But Bill, thanks. Thank you so much for everything. We really, really appreciate it. Like I said, we couldn't have done this show without you. So thank you thank so you, much I, for the I time. I so appreciate that. And all, to all the fans that used to buy the so-called after magazines. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for letting me uh, interview myself regarding that Andy Kaufman question, just in case you weren't <laughs> going to ask it. But no, I love your show. And uh, please send my love to uh, the entire Busted Open family, all your families and all that. And Tommy Dreamer, when you want to shout at that cow championship office wrestling title, let's find an office and let's do it, brother. You're going down after. Yeah, we'll see you at the matches. You're finally going to do a job. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate it, man. You're listening to Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. 
Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer delve into the significance of pro wrestling magazines throughout the years. This is Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazines special. Welcome back to Busted Open. Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer talking the golden age of professional wrestling with the wrestling magazines that are like our Bible, Tommy. And Tommy, I think you would agree that when we talk about all those different pro wrestling magazines we grew up on, that the number one magazine would be Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Absolutely. It was the anchor for the wrestler and the inside wrestling. When he came, when I waited every single month, I couldn't wait to get that brown envelope. First, it came, the wrestler and inside wrestler came together, wrestling, and then Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You couldn't wait. We had the buildup. If you think about it, dude, there was only 12, episodes, 12 magazines a year. And it was like you said, our Bible. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, we would go to Florida. My whole family would hop into our station wagon. We would drive to Florida every year. And I was allowed to bring 20 wrestling magazines with me. And like that was like my entertainment before, uh, you know, there was now kids have, you know, uh, movies in the car, you have your phone. But my entertainment for a 24 hour car ride with my family was wrestling magazines. And, uh, you know, I couldn't. It, I have some such great memories of me and my dad going to like searching for new magazines if I wasn't getting it until he finally got me that subscription. And like, that was my Christmas present every year to get something like that. Because even though it was great bonding with my dad, but he hated having like, I used to every week, dad, drive me to the Bronx. We got to go see if this, re- this place had the, ma- the magazines. It yeah. The- and like I said, pro wrestling illustrated was so important. And, and I know at the beginning, we talked about at the beginning of the show today, we talked about how important those magazines were to us. And the one that was probably number one on both our lists was pro wrestling illustrated and editor and publisher and somebody that is, you know, stepping down in just a couple of weeks and somebody who's been a part of that magazine for over 40 years and that is the one and only, the legendary Stu Sachs joins us right now. Stu, how are you? I am doing just fine. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful intro. That was great. But it's true because, you know, and this is, there's a lot to get into. First off, over 40 years, Stu, of doing Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you know, seeing, uh, you know, from the desk of and all those different articles that you wrote and how you oversaw this amazing project for over 40 years just just talk about this wonderful journey well i i don't question my decision to leave specifically because now old people are to- telling me that they were reading it as a kid so when <laughs> i hear you guys talking about you know i was a kid reading pro wrestling illustrated it's time to go <laughs> but no it's been it's been great i mean it there's been ups and downs like any job but to hold one job for 40 years, almost 41, it's almost unheard of today. You know, I've had three different owners 
and one owner twice. Um, but it's been, I've met a ton of great people. Uh, I've had a lot of great people to work with. It's just been a, it's been fantastic. I never, I never thought that pro wrestling would be my career. Um, <clears throat> I was a wrestling fan as a youngster and I, I got out of it. I, I started my own wrestling newsletter when I was uh, 14 years old and I got out of it while I was in college. And then I got a job working for a newspaper on Long Island, Newsday, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and um, through that, somebody who was working at that paper knew that I was a wrestling fan and knew of a job opening at London Publishing in Freeport, Long Island. And I went and interviewed for the job and it's a long story, but I eventually took it on the third offer and I've been here ever since. It's been great. So you talked about like getting this at a young age, right out of school and the offer that came in and you, uh, you know, growing up as a wrestling fan. I mean, do you understand the importance that this magazine meant to a lot of fans? Because before the internet, before shows like busted open, this is where, and like Tommy said, this was once a month, but how important this is where a lot of fans got their information from. Uh, I think I understand that. Um, we, we never looked at it as once a month. We, we had so many different releases during the course of a month. I would say we had at least one a week and sometimes more. So we had, we had three monthly magazines, several quarterlies. And on top of that, we were doing the Ring Magazine and KO Magazine. And, you know, so it was, it was very, very busy. But that's, that's not answering your question. You're talking about the importance of the magazines to the wrestling, to the wrestling community uh, before the, the onset of the internet um, and great shows like yours. Um, you know, that, that was the only place to get your information. And, uh, you know, we, we, we took that seriously. You know, we had, a, we had a great staff. We had people who really knew the wrestling business uh, Bill After and Craig Peters and you know Peter King was the man who hired me. Great, great editor. Um, you know, so we we were we were aware that we were keeping the wrestling community informed. Unfortunately, in those days, all the news came rather late. So it's not like today where something happens; it's there in a minute. Uh, I've been watching old wrestling. I mean, we're all I watch it every day anyway because I'm still a, a fan and. I'm watching uh, Howard Finkel, and I remember when uh, the microphone used to drop and Howard would announce the next card coming to the Garden. And when he would say making his debut, or Madison Square Garden debut, and he named, it was, uh, it was Dick Murdoch, who had never wrestled before in the WWF, the only way the fans knew who he was was through the magazines. That's and great. he gets an amazing reaction, and, and I know... Like I experienced this after I left WWE and like for you, your thoughts, your creative vision has literally touched millions, maybe billions of people for think of how many years that you have done this. How many people, when you walk into old school stationary stores where you'd see all the magazines, but how many fans like you, you were a casual fan, then you left, then you got back into it. But your vision and how you put together with your team has literally affected because so many people have seen it. Or if you, if you go to these conventions and you see a magazine, you see a flash, it brings back a memory and you created those memories. So don't, yep. I don't want to say undersell what you've done, but 
you were, if you think of how big the internet was, you know, Dave said it too, you guys were the internet before there was internet. You were our new source and there was, there was nothing like it. I'm sure you wish you had a dollar for every one of those people that uh, created it, but your life's work uh, will never ever, it has affected millions of people and never should, uh, will ever go uh, unnoticed. Thank you. That, it's so, so kind of you. You know, when it really hit home for me was when I went to the uh, the WWE Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, I, I don't even remember the year, but it was when Bruno Sammartino was inducted. And he got up there and he spoke about the importance of the wrestling magazines. And that was really, that really was uh, quite an honor for him, who is my favorite of all time, next to you, of course, <laughs> to, to, to get up there and talk about how, you know, he would go from, you know, to to Los Angeles where, you know, the WWF was not even a factor and he could be like the main event of their, you know, their big 22 man battle Royal. And that was all because of the magazines is at least that's what he said. And, and it was just, it was really, it really touched me to hear him say that. And to also too, when you look at, you know, it's not just pro wrestling illustrated, it's the wrestler it's inside wrestling. Like you said, those quarterlies, like, you know, wrestling 84 and, you know, those poster magazines that came out as well, like there was something special about that family of magazines. You know, pro wrestling magazines came and went, especially in the golden age of, of the 80s. But there was something special. There was a credibility, I believe, to the wrestler and inside wrestling and, and pro wrestling illustrated. Like it just felt like that was a class above all those other wrestling magazines. Well, we put the emphasis on the written word and the requirement to get a job at pro wrestling illustrated was not necessarily to be a wrestling fan. It was more important that you were a professional journalist and, you know, we had enough wrestling people on staff that we could hire somebody who really wasn't familiar with wrestling and have that person. Now I'll give you an example. Craig Peters was a huge, huge factor during the, uh, the, the growth uh, the big time, the big years of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the others. And he was not a wrestling guy. He was somebody who who just took the job because he, you know, he was, we saw in him the ability to to do our magazines and to to, to grow with our magazines. And he he took the, uh, he, he took it very seriously. He learned the business. He learned the wrestling business and the, the rest of it came naturally to him. So he's just one example. There's been many people who have been hired through the years that weren't necessarily wrestling people that became wrestling people. You live in the environment of the office and you get you get exposed to all of this stuff. And it doesn't take long for you to pick up on the storylines, the sensibilities of, of the business. You know, what's what's important to the uh, to the fans, our readers, what you know, the sensibilities of the promoters, which is also very, very important. And before long, if you have that ability, you, you could be a, you know, a good person for our family of magazines. Other, other magazines, and I'm not going to name any specifically, were just, you know, they, they wanted to put out magazines because wrestling magazines were hot at the time. And they just looked for wrestling people. And they not, didn't necessarily have the, the training or the background to be great journalists. And Dave, those magazines was Sports Review Wrestling. Don't let me break social distancing and come in Singapore, can you? Because, you know, I get very upset. It's still real to me, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I apologize. Sports Review Wrestling was part of that family as well. You're right. Uh, was there, uh, first of all, because uh, Dave smartened me up to this. So basically, Stu, you were Bill's boss? 
Yes. Not, not in the beginning. Not in the beginning. In the beginning, I, I, was, I was hired as associate editor by, by a gentleman named Peter King, no relation to the, uh, right. to the congressman or the NFL football writer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but by the way, I thought they were one and the same. And I used to work with Peter King of NFL fame. <laughs> and I brought that up to him. And the way he looked at me, the disgust that was on his face was pretty funny. But I digress. Please continue. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was just I was hired as an associate editor and I would you know, I would edit stories and write a column and write captions for the stories. And um, <clears throat> and, you know, Bill Bill was there for, oh, I'd say probably uh almost 10 years before I got there. So I guess Bill was, you know, higher up in the, in the pecking order than I was. Um, but, but Bill, Bill was over time. I became the, um, when Peter King left, I was appointed uh, editor in chief. That was 1987. And, um, but we didn't look at it as, you know, I'm your boss. It was never like that. It was, you know, everybody knew what they had to do. Everybody knew the responsibilities. Everybody got along and respected each other. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't much, you know, of a to do as a so-called boss. You know? No, I get it. But I was basically, I mean, you're you're pretty much were the the man behind the. Uh, you were like the the wizard of the Wizard of Oz. You not a lot of people knew what you looked like, and you said a lot of people didn't know, but everyone knew Bill. He was kind of became the face of the magazine. Absolutely. So now most people call it after mags. Um, and, uh, it could have been sax, sax mags, if you really <laughs> think about it. No, <laughs> if anything, they would have been the Weston mags because Stanley Weston was the, he was the boss. He was, he was, our, he was the owner of the magazines and, um, you know, without yeah. him, there'd be, you'd never, I would never be talking to, you know, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer, that's for sure. So, um, he was, he was the boss. No Did you, uh, uh, how come you, you chose, I mean, you weren't on the road a lot or were you or how come and I mean just because Bill is crazy and Bill loved it or you just decided to you had more responsibilities uh, at the office it, it was a little of all things you know part of it was uh that we didn't need to have a lot of people on the road you know Bill would go out and Bill would do photography um which is something that you know he can go out and bring back some kind of a tangible uh piece of of being on the road other, other than that we didn't you know, he would also do the uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated press conferences on the uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, and he was he was so well suited for that. Bill is so so charismatic and and uh, you know articulate, and it, he was he was great for that role. Uh, I'm a little shy, and I don't do a lot of this type of stuff because I just don't feel like I'm necessarily cut out for it. Uh, so yeah, I, and there was a a ton of stuff to be done in the office. So, you know, I was the one that was left behind to, 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 you know, to keep things rolling. And, uh, you know, Bill, Bill was out of the road from time, not all the time, but from time to time. And, and Craig, uh, you know, that was, my thing was just to keep things happening in the office. And actually, Tommy, I like stew mags better than <laughs> sax mags myself, but either one would have been great. All right, when we come back again, we got a lot more information and conversation with Stu Sachs, and we got to get into what I know is going to be a tough month for him as he says goodbye to PWI. We'll get into all that when we talk the golden age of pro wrestling, the wrestling magazines, when Tommy and I are back with Stu Sachs right here on Busted Open. 
You're listening to Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport, and Sirius XM FC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. And you believe it! In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, Anfield has erupted! Bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game. This is Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open, the Golden Age of Pro Wrestling, talking the pro wrestling magazines with Tommy Dreamer, the innovator of violence and landlord of the House of Hardcore. And with us, you know, before he says goodbye to a 41, almost 41-year career with PWI, the great, the legendary, the iconic, Stu Sacks and Stu, like the one thing, and 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 it's going to continue after you say your goodbyes and you walk out of those pro wrestling illustrated offices for the last time. That magazine will continue, and it has outlasted everyone starting in 1979. And there's been threats there. There was the Wow magazine, there was the WWF magazine, the WWE magazine, all these different magazines that that popped up throughout the decades, and yet PWI is the one that survived. That is true. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I, I think we put out a, a quality product. I think that's the, that's the bottom line. Not to say that the others didn't. You know, WOW Magazine was a revolution in, in wrestling magazines. Um, they were, they, they just came around at just not the perfect time. You know, wrestling had already started to go into a little bit of a slide by the time they got around. And, uh, you know, the, the company, it was, I don't think it was WOW magazine that in particular caused the, the demise of the company. No, certainly not. There were other, other factors that ultimately led to the bankruptcy of the company that produced WOW magazine. So, um, and then, of course, the, the big one was you know, WWF magazine and they, you know, they, they came along in the, uh, the early eighties and their, their goal was to put us out of business. Um, that just proves that Vince doesn't achieve every goal that he sets out to do. We're still here. They're not, but it was a great magazine. And, uh, you know, we have, we have one of their editors who is who's doing a lot of work for us now, Brian Solomon, He's, he uh, co-hosts the podcast with Al Castle, and he does um, video segments on our newly revived PWI Weekly. Um, so, yeah, we are, we we we've lasted, but you know we're down to we're down to to just PWI, which is unfortunate. And you know our in-house staff of editors consists of one person, and. Um, you know, we, t- we talk about Pro Wrestling Illustrated a lot in the past tense, but there, there's a lot going on right now, and there will be a lot going on in the future. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm most satisfied with in all of my time with Pro Wrestling Illustrated is the final decision that I made is hi- the person I hired to replace me. His name is Kevin McElvaney. He's been with the magazine for well over a decade as a freelance writer, and... 
I had a good feeling about him and his talents uh, exceed just his, his, uh, his knowledge of wrestling and, and his excellence in editorial. Uh, he's, he's really, really well-versed in uh, social media marketing. And that's something that's going to come into play and it has already started for Pro Wrestling Illustrated and for the family of magazines, the Kappa family of magazines, which is far, far greater in scope than just the wrestling magazine. Uh, I got to get down to some nitty gritty questions, stuff that I need to get answered. Uh Um, Number one, do you think, or was there ever a wrestler who contacted the uh, office because he was so Hmm. upset or pissed off about an article? Let me ask you a question. All right, I'll I'll come back to that. But we used to have wrestlers come to the office when we were, not in this office, but across across the street, when the ECW was competing up up the street from us, and you were you came to the office and you participated in in Bill's you know championship office wrestling, and you took him into the uh, the file room, mm-hmm. and you roughed him up pretty good. Yeah. Did you have a uh, like? Was there something between you and Bill, or is that? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can go easy on him. I go into full blown Tommy Dreamer. I'm crazy. Don't I can't don't tell me to wrestle. I don't go easy on anybody. Okay, even an old man like Bill Apter. He wasn't old then. <laughs> Plus, I never got an, I never got an introducing. I had a I had a uh, yell at that's him. That's it. That, so there is a little bit of a grudge. No, not at all. Okay, all right. So, what was your question? Uh, was there anyone who ever called the office because they were so pissed off about an article written about them? Uh, there was the the famous uh, Randy Savage incident. He was very unhappy we did a we did a this is this is all covered in bill's bill's book um is wrestling fixed i didn't know it was broken um where we did an angle that i and i can't remember the headline specifically but it was something to do with uh the the fan the, a fan called randy savage old and that's that inspired him to be young again something to that effect and we knew it was a little bit of a touchy subject for anybody. So Bill put a call into, into the Macho Man and said, hey, this is what we're planning on doing. Do you have any, any problems with that? He goes, no, Bill, I trust you. I, I'm not going to do his voice. No, Bill, I trust you. Whatever you want to do, go ahead. Well, when it came out, he, was, he forgot about that phone call and the permission that he gave. And he was a little bit dis, you know, disturbed. So he let Bill know. And that, you know, the, the ending is in Bill's book. So it, that wasn't pretty. The, the other thing, you know, there were some wrestlers who occasionally was, were not happy with the, the, uh, the type, the words we put into their mouth in some of these stories where we would essentially create the dialogue on our own because most wrestlers understood what we do. They understood that we're going to, when we do a story on a wrestler it's, and quote them, it's going to be in character. We're not quoting, you know, Terry Bollea, we're quoting Hulk Hogan. And they were, it's, it, it just didn't seem right to call them and ask them questions in character. And if we did, they would mostly say to us, don't waste my time. You, you do me better than I do me. Just go ahead and do your stories. Once in a while, we would miss the mark on a wrestler and he might be, you know, hey, he might point it out to us, but mostly in a, in a good natured way. Uh, my biggest question, uh, well, I would have another two, uh, the awards. 
how you, I mean, for, that was a, to me, it was a really, really big deal. I think it was for Dave as well. Um, like the rookie of the year, most popular, most, uh, those were like, we didn't have an award ceremony. Um, how did those come about? Or I don't know, uh, if we have the time, we got to go to a commercial break or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I hope we do. How do you have like put those together where this person was there really voting? Cause I used to submit my votes every year and I never friggin' my people never won. Damn it. I know Dave did too. Well, Oh, don't I'll, I'll tell you for the last oh. 10 years for sure, because I, I'm the only one here and I could vouch for this. Every single vote is counted and the winner is the winner. All right. Nice. Yes. Thank you, Stu. Thank you. Still real, damn it. Damn right it is, Stu. It, it's the last question. And thank you for that, because you would have ruined my childhood if it was any other answer than the one you gave. Uh, I, first of all, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done for the magazines. I pre appreciate you for what you've done for our show because it was always a thrill to see something quoted from our show. It was always a thrill uh, for me to, you know, that article that you did on the show was phenomenal. Uh, so I thank you for that. But how difficult is it going to be for you in, in a month for you to walk out of those offices for the last time? I think I'm getting a little bit of a taste of it right now because I'm in the office, but Kevin is at home. He's working there. I, I look at it, I look over my shoulder at his computer and I can see it, you know, magazines being created. And most of the editorial people, there's a few business people here, but I'd say three quarters of the staff is working from home. And, you know, that was going to be a hard thing for me to say goodbye to people. I think it's, I, I don't think they're going to be back before I'm gone. So uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of sad. Um, but I think just walking away from the magazines, it is, it is going to be a little bit difficult for me. Uh, you know, you, when you do something and you put your, your heart and soul to something for over 40 years to just, you know, turn off the switch and walk away, it, it's not easy. Um, you know, I, I feel really good about the fact that I believe the magazine is left in good hands, not just with Kevin as the editor in chief, but you know, Kappa Publishing really stands behind Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And I, you know, I, I just, you know, they, they, so, they sold the magazine to, to uh, Oscar De La Hoya, along with the Ring Magazine back in 2007. And, and Oscar was, he was only in it for the Ring. He didn't really care about the wrestling magazines that much. So when the, when the opportunity arose, uh, the owner of the company, Nick Karabatz, bought us back. So it was two years that I was gone from, from Kappa actually sitting in the same seat. Cause we, we as golden boy leased space from Kappa in the same building. And I, you know, he, he wanted to bring it back. He wanted to, he, he felt good about, about the wrestling magazine and, 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 you know, I would, I, I dare say me, you know, he has, he cared about me and he wanted to see me in the best position to, to, you know, exceed Excel going forward. And uh, so in 2009, he, he bought us back, not the Ring Magazine, but the Wrestling Magazines. And it was, a, it was a blessing for me because, you know, a couple of years after that, Oscar moved the whole operation to Los Angeles. And I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been given the opportunity to come along because nobody else was. So, you know, everything, everything I've done through 40 years, every, 
everything is just full, the stars have always aligned for me. Everything's worked out for me. And, and I, 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 I had, you know, Stanley Weston as an owner and Mr. Carabots as an owner. And, you know, I work, you know, I work for, um, my boss now, Des McNulty is, is, you know, she, she cares about what we do and, and, and how, you know, she cares about me personally. And it's just great. It's, it's, it's a fantastic, big, small company. And that's, I think the ideal situation. Well, Stu, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for the decades that you've given us, us pro wrestling fans. We, we give you a big thank you and, and congratulations. And uh, we hope to be hearing from you soon. Thank you guys. Thank you for your support. And this is, this is really special for me and I do appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be back right here on the golden age of pro wrestling, the magazines when Tommy and I are back right here on busted open. You're listening to busted opens golden age of pro wrestling magazines special only on Sirius XM fight nation channel 156. IndyCar fans, this is Brick by Brick with A.J. Allmendinger and Jack Aroot. We can maybe provide you with a little distraction. Just missing racing. The season will start, and they'll have to be ready right when it starts. And I think we're really going to see the drivers that are physically and mentally most strong through this time are going to come out firing. If it's a shorter schedule, the start of this season is going to be even more critical than usual. New episodes air Wednesdays at 6 Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer delve into the significance of pro wrestling magazines throughout the years. This is Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazines special. Welcome back to Busted Open. Myself and the innovator of violence, the landlord of the house of hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. We're talking the golden age of pro wrestling with the magazines, Tommy. And how do we not do this without 2017 pro wrestling hall of famer and that is the one and only the greatest of all time with a camera in his hands george napolitano george how are you uh, very good thank you for that wonderful introduction that was uh, great nice of you really and, and now, you want to talk i don't know you be quiet for a second I'm already, i'll be quiet you cut off Stu sacks i had a bunch of questions to ask him you know how real this is to me but there would be no ever Tommy Dreamer in a magazine. George was the first person to ever put me in a magazine, uh, a personal story. And I had told George this a long time ago. We were at my uh, a family member's wake, and I keep seeing my grandfather from Brooklyn. He was a tough old man, and he keeps calling people over in the corner. I don't know what he's doing, <laughs> and he pulls out of his suit jacket uh, where it was a, a three-page article about me, and he's showing everybody at a wake. And my grandmother wanted to beat the crap out of him. And he's like, I'm just, you be quiet. I'm showing everybody. It's my family. So he uh, he did that, which I always laugh about. We always laugh about uh, at family occasions because it was the first time I had, you know, uh, pictures of myself. It was uh, me. It was as TD Madison with GQ Madison. I'm flexing. I'm wearing hot pink. All right. It was like a three-page article. But, George, man, you have had so many iconic photos. Um, what, do you, what was one of your – two of your favorite? Okay, well, it goes back uh, to the Andre picture. Right, right away, that comes out to be number one. It's Andre holding up four ladies. It was taken to back in the Philadelphia Arena around 72, 
73. Vince McMahon Sr. asked me if I could take a picture that shows Andre his, uh, his, his sizes. And I said, you know, you have the ladies here today. Can we take a picture with the girls there? And he said, yeah, okay. And Arnold Scullin went and got the, uh, the four lady wrestlers and Andre put his arms out and they climbed on and he, I, I took two pictures. And he says, hey boss, you got it? I said, yeah, I do. After the second snap, he put him down. That was the most iconic and that it's was seen by everybody or at least people know the picture I'm referring to. Yeah, it's lived for it's lived for years. And uh, did you also, I mean, I know you do a lot with uh, yeah. other events. You took it because I was talking to you about it. Uh, the 86 Mets, the, yes. the picture that to me, that's so, so, so iconic. It was Strawberry, Dykstra, and was it Doc? Yes. Yeah, man, that was uh, that. I mean, that picture was picked up everywhere. It was. Yeah, you know, I, I've been covering the, the Mets uh, from actually from the 70s. And I, I, used to, I used to go to the Met games and photograph that as a diversion, just to do something different other than wrestling. People would say, oh, you're a wrestling photographer. And I would say, no, I'm a photographer. I do a lot of different things. And I started covering the Mets just to do something different. Not that I didn't like the wrestling, just I needed a, just a change every once in a while. And there's a, there's a shot on the Post and the New York Daily News, 1988, when the, uh, when the Mets clinched the playoffs. There's... Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, and me who's on the Daily News and also the Post. That's awesome. That is yeah. really cool. And yeah, I, I, a lot of people don't know you. You still are photographing right now. You're not so yeah. much in the world of wrestling, but, you know, the red carpet of movie premieres. I mean, you're always there with camera in hand. Yeah, well, I, I just went to the, uh, <laughs> the last show that they had, I guess, the Royal Rumble. I mean, I, I'm actually shooting now. It's 50 years photographing wow. and uh in my spare time <laughs> i have a lot of time now i just been going through a lot of old slides and scanning them and uh, found the, the grand wizard and ernie lad haystacks galoon dino bravo and whatever just a whole lot of whole lot of stuff hey george and, you know uh, yeah. I, I, you and i have seen the business change so much back yeah. when when you were first shooting yes. uh the business was there was no outsiders in a locker room or was there anybody who ever gave you a hard time like oh this mark shouldn't be in here that type of scenario well not in new york because uh, i met the grand wizard i met the grand wizard at sunnyside gardens and i said i'm going to be uh working for ring magazine he said oh good good and he introduced me to jimmy valiant and from that from that day on the wizard introduced me to vince mcmahon senior and everyone so once i had his approval i was in like flint he, uh, he then brought me over to Captain Lou Albano, and Albano being the, the loud mouth that he was, he heard my name was Napolitano. He says, oh, okay, Paisan, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> and, uh, and once he said I was okay, then I was okay. You know, but uh, I had a problem once. I, I went with Greg Valentine to Charlotte, and in the bar at Charlotte at a Friday's, I remember it was a Friday's, after it, there was Ole Anderson, and he said, what are you doing here? So his, Greg says, that's my friend. He said, well, get your, get your blank friend out of here. He don't belong here. He's a mark. And uh, then Ric Flair said, you don't understand. This guy's from New York, and he puts us in the magazine, and we need that. And, on, and then Oli said, I don't want him near me. And then they pulled me over, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that's how I, that was really the only time I had a real problem. You know, nice. Uh, Grumpy Oli Anderson. Shocking. <laughs> 
Yeah, Ole Anderson's not exactly the nicest person on the face of the earth. But, George, I know that you are, and you've, you've really cultivated a lot of relationships over the decades. Like you said, 50 years of mm-hmm. taking pictures. Was, you know, you, Tommy asked you about your favorite pictures that yes. have been a part of that magazine. And also you talking about Ric Flair saying, you know, the, how important your role was. You know, talk about the importance of the magazines in the 70s and the 80s. Well, the only way to learn or to know about anybody across the country was through the magazines. And I I never realized the power, quote unquote, power I may have had. I I just did it just to do it. But without without having the magazines, nobody knew about a Tommy Dream, a Tommy Madison, or, or any of these people who were around unless you read it. And once you read it in a magazine or saw the pictures or saw saw something about it, that person was elevated in your mind because now they're going to announce and next week we're going to have such and such. And all of a sudden you'll say, oh, I read about him. So in your mind, he's already, you already have some built up uh, knowledge of this particular person. Uh, I thought what made, you know, when you had uh, the magazines, like the main event, it different Mm -hmm. because was, your coverage of Puerto Rico. Yes, I did. And it was because of like the blood and like, that's how I got to know who this badass Carlos Colon was or all these other wrestlers that I wasn't seeing, you know, this during the territory days. Uh, Do you feel that like a bloody face got you more people viewing the magazines? Well, 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 to some, blood was a big part of the, uh, big part of the whole wrestling thing at one time. I used to do a magazine called Wrestling Scene. And on every wrestling scene cover, I would try to put a bloody photo. So when I went to Puerto Rico, I knew I was covered for wrestling scene for a while because that's where I would get uh, Cologne and uh, Hercules Ayala, Abdul Little Butcher, Bruiser Brody, what have you, all these different people. And even if you didn't know who it was, if it was bloody shot, it, it worked. Can you please tell the story? Because you told me uh, the last time I saw you in Queens with uh, Gama, um, the time you went to Puerto Rico, and you uh, you basically get set up big time. If you could tell that story, because that's awesome. I, I think the story you mean is uh, after a match in Trinidad. Yes, that's we, it. We, we, we get in a cab, and uh, there's a cab driver, myself and Abdullah, scrunched in the front. In the back, there's Hugo Savinovich. Gama Singh, and I believe it was Fuji in the backseat of the cab. And as we're trying to get out of there, the, the fans started pouncing on the cab, pouncing, pouncing, pouncing. The cab driver, as smart as he was, jumps out of the cab and he tries to chase the people away. Ah, get away, get away. And they're, they're rocking the car. Abdullah pushes me, he says, drive, drive. So he pushes me into the steering wheel and I backed up, I went forward, backed up, and the guy just was looking at me and I just took off and I drove the car to the motel where we were staying and we left the car in the parking lot and all of a sudden 10 minutes later I hear a knock on my door and it's the police and he says come downstairs you stole the car and I said I didn't steal the car he says come downstairs and in the lobby Abdullah was sitting there and he's laughing he's looking he's smirking as only Abdullah could and uh, the cop the cop says you stole this car and I said no he says yes we have your report and they go to handcuff me. And Abdullah says, make sure you arrest him. He's no good. He took that car. And then, all of a sudden, and then the cops look, yeah, he did. He said, yeah, he did, he did. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do. And then Abdullah slowly got up. He says, listen, let me tell you the real story. 
he saved us. He saved us. He did take the car, but he didn't mean it. And Abdullah <laughs> was laughing like he was he was happy that he got over on me. And I was ready. I was going to go to jail in a foreign country. <laughs> Over stealing a car, which I did, I but I, I was forced into it, and and Gamma remembered. It. I hadn't I hadn't seen Gamma sing, God in thirty years at least when I saw him at the Impact Impact show. I really went there to see him. That was what yeah. was. that's amazing. You you mentioned a relationship early on with a lot of promoters. You know what was it like in the mid eighties when Vince McMahon Jr came out with his own publication first it was victory then it turned to wwf magazine and then he really kind of banned a lot of the photographers taking pictures of the superstars you know what was that experience like for you okay well this with every story you hear you hear a story but you don't know all the facts to the story vince mcmahon actually asked me call me uh right before they became big. It was in a December December day, and right before WrestleMania WrestleMania one, and it was before that. He he says to me, he says, "I'm going to be taking over the wrestling world." And I look at him. I said, "What?" So yeah, I'm I'm working on a plan. I'm going to take it over, and I would like you to be the editor of all my magazines and stuff. He says, uh, "You can move to Stanford, and I can I'm offering you a job." And I said, "What?" And at that point, I had a, a wife, uh, a, a baby, a young kid, a couple of years old. And uh, the idea of going to Stanford, Connecticut, sight unseen, not knowing what I was getting into, I said, but I like what I do right now. Everything is fine. I don't mind covering the wrestlers, the wrestling scene all across the country. He says, well, there's going to be no more wrestling. I says, I... We lost George. There's no more wrestling. What the hell? What's that? I'm back. I don't know what that got you back because you just said, there's no more wrestling. And then click. I was like, holy shit, there's no more George. All right. So 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 I turned him down. I turned him down. And I went and I told Bill Apter, a couple of the two or three other photographers that pretty soon, this is going to change. We're not going to be here. He says, no, nah, that can't happen. I says, I know what's going to happen. I've been told. And uh, sure enough, he, he took us out of the garden. He says, you can't shoot my events anymore. But it made me then go and really travel and take pictures everywhere else. And it made the territories last a little longer than they would have if he would have said, I'm taking over. You can still hear. Because all I would have done was promote the junkyard dog and everyone else locally would have made it a lot easier. I said I would have liked it. I like what I did, but that's really the story. I told uh, him I, I didn't want to do it. I turned down the job. Being George, the thing. let me yeah. ask you this. Uh, was there, and you know, it, we, me and Dave, we went back, we watched the first uh, WrestleMania, yes. and there was frigging hundreds of people ringside. Yes. Was there ever a point where I don't want to say it got physical, but you're trying to get the shot? Bill Afters trying to get the shot. Are you guys nudging elbows? You're about to you're about to throw down to try to get this great shot. No, not not really. It, it, there really was three or four. I mean, if you saw WrestleMania one, there was a lot of people. But in any of any Madison Square Garden show, there was maybe three, four photographers really on the on one side of the ring only. We were on uh, the opposite side of where you would walk out. Basically, that's where we stayed. And then I was told I can go anywhere. 
and I was able to go anyway because I became the editor of the programs that were sold in the WWWF, like nice. for the Garden and uh, every spot show. I used to do the program. I so know they, that. Wow. Yeah, they, the Vince Vince Senior said you could shoot anywhere you want. So I was able to roam, and those other fellows stayed on the one side. But but we never had a problem. We never had a altercation. <laughs> it was harder later in the eighties, nineties when I was shooting at a ringside with all these Japanese and sometimes they didn't know where, where the next move was coming from. And after me seeing it for so long, I, I knew what to expect. And then to try to avoid the, the cameramen and the other photographers, it, it got to be a little of a, a log jam, but they right. had a problem. You know, it's funny because as a fan, George, we always thought there was heat between you and Bill Opter. So, you know, when I'd be up in a crowd, I'd be like, oh, 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 my God, they're close. You know, like we thought there was probably heat between the two of you. Not at all. There, there, there never was. And uh, if he heard anything, he would tell me. And if I heard anything, quote, I would tell him. But normally, we really didn't know anything. Nobody, nobody really said anything to us what was going to happen, who, what was going to be. And I didn't want to know anything. I, I went took the pictures without an earpiece. I would go to the left corner because I knew that's, I thought that's where they were coming. I would get the picture. I wasn't told, go here, look for this, look for that, which a lot of the photographers have now. Anyone that works for somebody, they have a they have an earphone that, and they know exactly what to look for and what they're going to see. How annoying was this 13-year-old kid coming to Madison's oh. garden named <laughs> Paul Heyman trying to get a shot? You know he's trying to get something. Get something. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I I really never had a problem with Paul, and and he'll he'll say it that I was probably the only one that really talked to him. Right. I, I acknowledged him, with a, but I didn't need to acknowledge him. He was nice. He was, he never bothered me, and he would be uh, pleasant. His story of bullshitting his way into the garden is so Paul Heyman one hundred and one. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he did. He met the Grand Wizard, who was great. The Grand Wizard. He was, uh, as I said before, he was the one who introduced me to everybody. And if you were friendly with him, he could take care of you. Right. And that's how I got to go to Detroit and a lot of cities. I mean, uh, he was managing the Sheik as Abdullah Farouk. Yep. George, last question for me. Who is your favorite wrestler to photograph? Uh, oh, God. Um, it. it it's really hard to say. Every decade was something different. You know, uh, at some point it was The Rock, it was Austin. But before that, really started with Bruno San Martino. And uh, forget the Superstar Graham days. I mean, I, I used to take Superstar everywhere. I used to drive him around. I was, his, I was his caddy. But we became friendly. I met him in Houston, Texas. And then when he came to New York, he called me. He said, I'm coming to the city. I'm coming to the Big Apple. And uh, I went, picked him up, and took him to my house. We had dinner. I fed him and uh, brought him somewhere. Uh, there's, a, there's a story with, with that. On, on one of the nights, I, I took him to see, to eat at my house. And I said, there's wrestling from Florida on tonight. He says, yeah, yeah, I want to see it. And he sits on a chair. Uh, <laughs> and it was like a little black and white TV, maybe 12 inches, with, a, with rabbit ears. We <laughs> were able to see the Florida wrestling. And he gets the chair and he puts it all the way up to the TV screen. He says, says, let me see this. And he says, he's doing my interview. He's doing my interview. He was talking about Dusty Rhodes. He says, he's copying me. He's copying. 
you know, at that time, you didn't know what was going on. Again, right. unless you read the magazines, you didn't know what was who was where and what was going on. But you we sure saw, we saw Florida wrestling was good for us. You should have responded, well, you're copying Muhammad Ali, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, he did, and he copied Muhammad Ali and uh, maybe gorgeous yours before him. But he was the, you know, he was the precursor of Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan yeah. Did you take that classic picture too, where it looked like it was in the middle of Manhattan, where he just like got out of the car, yes. or yes, I yeah, did that. Tell me about that one because I love that picture too. He looks like I, he looks like a sculpture. Yeah, I said I, I want to take something different. Whenever I did Japanese stuff, they wanted different things. They were ahead of us. They wanted pictures of people outside and things. I said, I got, they've been asking me to take you outside. He says, okay, let's do this. And it was down on uh, off the 7th Avenue near Times Square. And he got out of the car and he went up with some garbage bales. We took pictures there. But I, I took pictures of him all over. I mean, I was in Baltimore when he won from Bruno. And that's a story. That's another story. You know, well, we have the, time. The, the, myth, the myth is, is that you knew that he was going to win the title that night. But the, the truth is, I didn't know quote unquote no i'm driving down he says you got a lot of film tonight i said yeah why i need a lot of film so i'm wrestling bruno i said i've seen you and bruno a number too many times i'm tired of this he says ah you tonight you're gonna need a lot of pictures you're gonna need a lot. i said why do i need this are ah, you gonna need i says ah, i have more than i need i have more film than i need and i'm not gonna put any more than i normally do well needless to say he beat bruno that night and uh, I took pictures, but I didn't go overboard because even though he told me, he didn't really say, right. tonight I'm going to be Bruno. And Bruno. No. And, and, and right after he, right after one, we drove home. And the next day was his birthday. And I went, took him to Long Island and uh, had a party for him. He was living on Long Island. And I drove him. First, he wanted to take a picture with the belt. So first we went to New York and took pictures with the belt. Then I drove him to Long Island to a party that his wife was throwing for his nice. birthday. That's awesome. George, man, we could talk to you for hours. You have so many stories. Again, 2017 class of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. George, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this and, and being in part of this journey for us. Well, thank you very much, Dave. It was my pleasure. I mean, uh, uh, I can't, I, <laughs> I, I can't uh, imagine what I would have done if I didn't do this, you know, like it was great. I've enjoyed it. And I still enjoy it. Not like I did, but I still enjoy it. I still watch it. And it's uh, not as much as you guys, but I still follow what's going on. George, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. See you, bud. This has been Busted Open's Golden Age of Pro Wrestling Magazine's special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.